0: Yeah, did did we figure out what magic is? Oh my god, we we
1: figured out what magic (laughs) is, guys.
2: Let's let's not start a flame war over defining what magic is.
0: No, anyone who disagrees
1: with that is wrong
0: forever. We have spoken. This is magic. Welcome to Worldcasting, where we discuss real, made-up things. I'm your host for today, Adam Bassett. I'm a UX and UI designer at Campfire Technology. I'm a game designer with Smunchy Games, and I do some writing and editing here at Worldbuilding Magazine. Today, we're going to be discussing magic. Again, we've touched on magic a couple times through previous seasons. First, I think just about magic in general, and then we did a whole episode on magic ecology now we're going to kind of talk more about magic systems specifically but if you're interested in those other things go check out those episodes too then you can come back here or vice versa you know whatever works for you so today joining me for this one we've got a little bit of a different cast joining me are kathy Immaculate, and our special guest for today from the writing cartel a discord server who we partnered with a while ago Down pigman uh would you guys mind introducing yourselves
3: Sure, I'm Kathy, the Overprepared GM, and a writer with Worldbuilding Magazine. Uh, I spend, I'd say, the majority of my time trying to raise three kids, but also I do web project management. I'm currently working on a Latinx fantasy tabletop RPG and co hosting a worldbuilding workshop series for the Dominican Writers Association.
2: Howdy! I'm Immaculate, also known as Ian Tividad. I am the managing editor here at World Building Magazine, and an editor at Paizo, and I also freelance write on the side. I'm, uh, I'm glad to be here.
1: And I'm Devin, a member of the writing cartel. Uh, I am an aspiring writer, nothing published yet, but you know, we still like to dream. Uh, I'm also a permanent GM at our tabletop uh, table love world building and just creating all of these fantastical locales for players and readers to visit so i'm really excited to be here today thanks for having me guys
0: yeah thank you all for coming it's definitely a discussion i've been looking forward to this week but before we get into everything i kind of just want to take a step back Uh, we don't often do this here but i just want to take a minute to chat with you all because it's been a little while since we've all gotten a chance to get together and talk like this What's everyone been working on? Have you been working on any world building, or have you read anything recently that's kind of uh, gotten you thinking about world building in a new way? Just anything at all.
2: Well, I can't say too much, but I can say that my work has been reading a bunch of world building on magic for Paizo. We have something really great coming up as far as magic is concerned with Secrets of Magic, and it's it's been a lot. There's a, there's a lot of info in there that has made me think more about how magic wor- works in a world, just how it theoretically works, but also its applications. And that kind of connects to my own world building, which has been not really writing so much as constantly developing and thinking about it since my campaign of four years of D&D, which is a high magic fantasy campaign, is coming to a close. And I've kind of gone to intro some introspection on how I handled magic at the start and how it has evolved in how I handled it and how I presented
0: it over those 4 years. Oh, I didn't realize that was coming to a close. That's huge.
2: It is. Thank goodness because it's <laughs> it's been a long time to have a, <laughs> to have a campaign run that long.
1: That's always exciting though when you get to the end.
2: Yeah, it's a we they're going to end at level 18. They started mo- some of them started level 1, but we had a rotating uh party party com- party cast uh over the years but yeah ultimately it's kind of the, that one line has splintered and come back into a single storyline that's concluding at this point point. and magic has always hasn't kind of continues to be a big part of what made that campaign kind of get forwarded what it means to have magic in the world and the implications for people who are not you know using it even for uh For the wider world, it means have powerful mages constantly and in the works of things, constantly messing things up or correcting them, and then vice versa.
3: So, do you think you're going to jump into a new one when you finish this, or are you like, okay, I need a break. I'm done. Somebody else do it for a while. I'm probably gonna do it. I feel as though it's it's mainly for uh, personal
2: work reasons. It's best for me to just keep kind of going at it. I'll take a break. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I'm gonna do more a big big a big world. Building project like I did with this one, I'll probably do something uh, pre-established in my uh, in in Galarian just to familiar familiarize myself better. But I'm, I'm definitely gonna keep with something that does touch on those uh, kind of the classic archetypical magical uh, tropes too. I just want to keep keep my fingers in that pot <laughs> so that I-, I don't lose a I don't lose track of of my roots, so to speak.
1: Hmm.
3: I know my uh, husband and I run separate campaigns and he's been going with the same group and I'm in the group, but he's been going with the same group for, I think, oh, close to 20 years now um, with short breaks for each kid, but it's been a continuous thing. And right now we're in a, you know, in a campaign and he's already announced that unless he comes up with something new by the end of the campaign, this is it. This is the last one because he has nothing new to say, you know, he's done. And everyone's kind of like, end of an era, you know, but I think we have probably another two years after the pandemic ends uh, before we reach the end of the level and we'll actually be done, done.
0: But man, you guys are talking about these long four year campaigns and going 20 years with the same group. Meanwhile, like the group that I had, we played for like a year in college. And I think we picked it up for like a couple months here and there, but like that's as far as we ever got. My group likes RPGs and stuff like this, but they're very difficult to organize. So we we've never really had anything like that. Like I thought the the year-long campaign was big and then I met everyone at the magazine. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I mean, it's just a different step, type of play. Like, ultimately yeah. short versus long.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah, I actually uh, am just starting a new Pathfinder campaign. Pretty excited. And d- due to popular request, they're making me continue with the world that I created for the last one, so I'm having to deal with, oh, there's a time gap, and now I have to go and redevelop things and talk about how everything changes in the few years since the last campaign. So... It's a lot of fun, but I know there's so much stuff I'm going to forget until it comes up. I thought,
0: is Pathfinder a system or is it also including Galarian? It's a
1: system. The base setting is Galarian, but uh, I usually just use the system and make up my own world for it. Yeah. Okay.
0: Yeah, I, I guess I recently interviewed two of the developers for the Lost Omens stuff for Paizo which I learned a lot about what they do there. But the way that they spoke about Galarian and everything, it sounded like if you're playing with Pathfinder, you're probably playing with Galarian. So I didn't realize they could be kind of separated.
1: I mean, it's kind of like D&D, how there's like all of their source books for all of the locations that they came up with. But I don't know. Sometimes I prefer the freedom of just being able to do what what I want. Mm -hmm. Because the rules work regardless. That's true.
3: And if you're old enough, then the idea of having the setting that you have to follow is just a weird one.
0: Is that a newer development or something?
3: Yeah. I mean, when, if you go back far enough and I can go back far enough, you know, they were coming out with these rules, but they didn't have that fleshed out world building. It came out of a mixture of things, but especially if you talk about D and D and sort of that tradition, Pathfinder is certainly part of that. It came out of a war gaming system. And so they talked about, the things that could happen within that world, but they were those things were sort of just story hook enough to get you into the dungeons. It wasn't, you know, a full-fleshed world, really thinking about the economy, all this kind of stuff.
1: Yeah, it was more about, here's what's in the dungeon. We don't really care about how you got there or why. You just want to go into a dungeon, and that's enough.
2: <laughs> yeah, my impression was that they kind of made up a lot of the kind of setting stuff just to contextualize it and make it easier for people to follow. Mm-hmm. And ultimately what they kind of sold as the rule set was just stuff that they originally had anyways or later on i guess the process was that they would lift up the mechanics they created within their worlds because it was just mechanics it's it's stuff that you could just plop on into probably a different setting should you choose and it was only much later beyond that that they started doing things like oh this setting has specific mechanics or these mechanics work really well with this setting it might be difficult to lift it up and put it into something else, but, well, it's there if you want to do this type of, you know, this type of game in this type of world. And that's kind of where you start getting these more specified products that have either themes or rule sets that work within them, but you can't just outright pluck without changing for everyday use, for example. Gotcha.
3: And I think think it also went hand-in-hand with what was going on in sort of fantasy novels, where... For a period of time in the seventies and eighties in the US, at least, everything was uh, that was high fantasy was very much a Tolkien clone and was following in that particular uh, tradition. And so, even though the fantasy genre in the wider sense had a lot of other influences, like you know Conan or Narnia or whatever other things that were pretty famous, once Tolkien came out, that made everything else different. And then when Shannar came out in sort of late 70s, early 80s, whenever it was, that was the first big mass market, you know, they're making New York Times bestseller lists. They're they're actually making more money than the science fiction uh, ones and getting to a broader audience. And so that established what a fantasy world was in a very concrete way. And it seemed like everybody was redoing those for a while. And so the idea of fantasy, like, all the worlds were very similar for a while. And then you started to see the reactions from it with, you know, Glenn Cook going kind of gritty or, um, you know, the, the Celtic novels or whatever, taking different directions from the fantasy again afterwards. But for a while, it was very much like, this is what fantasy is. They're all going to have the same trope. So, you know, whatever world you come up with, it's going to be one that uses these same ideas. So you don't need to separate the mechanics from the setting because they're all the same setting.
1: Yeah, I'm really glad we're getting into the age where, with how many writers we have and how relatively easy it's becoming to publish, we get so many fresh ideas. Like, every author seems to have their own way of how they want to talk about magic and how their world is special. And, like, it doesn't always work, but I love the novelty of some of it. It's really refreshing after a while.
2: I have personally found as far as, like, making magic special, it's, it's not... I'm not even trying to create a system anymore. I'm not trying to come up with rules. I'm just trying to wait, think of ways to innovate how to contextualize it within my world, because I think it's there's like a point where you can keep making systems and you can keep adding rules, and it comes down to having to explain those rules or having to make people understand those rules. And p- these uh, your audience will likely have preconceptions from other systems that can make that can either make that easier, but I find that if you're creating truly something new, it can actually make it difficult for them to kind of start really absorbing what you're trying to do that's freshly different from however hundreds, thousands, of other magic systems, spellcasting ways, etc. there are. So I like to just make it more of like, narratively, Why? how is this handled differently than how it would from, let's say, one form of fiction to another? Because spellcasting is like, in so many pieces of work, in so many works, but you can probably think of a few that stand as to how well they handled, for example, just the way spells are handled. How many different ways is it kind of a contextualized inner narratives and kind of given weight or not?
0: Yeah. And that discussion on kind of prior experience and outside influences and all that, that can be really important, not just for, you know, individual magic systems, but, you know, if we look at the other parts of the work or of the work as a whole, you know, that's why when you are doing a query letter or trying to describe your work to someone else, uh, you might use those outside influences or similar stories to try to give a person a quick idea of what you've made. Like, I'll bring in some of my personal experience with game design. Uh, I mentioned to do that for Spongy Games. I do basically like their card games are what I design. So when I'm describing something to someone else, if it's like their first time playing, or if I'm just explaining the different things that I've made, I will use those outside sources and similar titles as a reference point. So I didn't actually realize I was doing this at the time, but the game Frey that I made is actually kind of similar to Triple Triad from Final Fantasy, completely accident, but it's a very convenient thing for explaining the game. Anyone who has experience with Triple Triad now has a very good idea of what I'm talking about. And when they go into it, they're kind of getting what they're expecting, but then you know, they can start to see all those differences and stuff that I've put into Frey. And you know, the same thing when you are, like I said, putting in that query letter, you can say, this story is Game of Thrones with children of blood and bone put together with this twist to give a really good quick idea to the person who's reading that what they're getting into and hopefully it piques their
1: interest yeah and i think with magic we can kind of do the same thing now just because it's become such a like facet of cultural knowledge we have Harry Potter and Lord of the Rings, or Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and we have all of these reference points. We can say, well, it's like Harry Potter, but instead of wands, we have this. Or it's like Lord of the Rings, but we actually know how the magic works.
0: Yeah, and one thing that I did for an old magic system that I designed was basically, like, I had a very intricate way of accessing that magic. You had to, like, do one motion with one hand to generate the power and then a different motion with the offhand to direct that energy. And it was something that I took some great pains to explain because my main character in that story could use magic. So I had to have the reader understand kind of the skill that they had to do this. And one thing that I knew going into that was I knew that describing those actions was going to take up quite a bit of space. And it would be a little detailed because there are so many things happening kind of in a very short amount of time. So I wanted the magic system to be very understandable. So I basically just lifted the whole bending system from uh, Avatar The Last Airbender, which is so similar to just like elemental magic in general. So when people saw that system, they could see the end result was very similar to stuff they'd seen before. But the way that they got to that point where there is a fireball throwing, you know, going through the sky, you know, the way they got to that point in my system was a little bit different, uh, a little more involved, perhaps. So there, there's always for me this kind of balance of how are you going to explain what's happening to your audience? You know, how complex is it? Is it going to be easy for them to pick up? You know, that's where a lot of, I think, testing it out is important where like if you're descri- even just describing de- describing it to someone you know there's going to be some moment where you can figure out if that description is coming across well if you have some writing it's really great to have that shared with someone and get a beta reader and see if you know once they read it did they get confused at any point, etc?
1: Oh yeah, because it's super easy for me to understand everything I write but then I have other people look at it and they're like, I have no idea what you're trying to say here <laughs> And it's like, okay, well thanks yeah
0: I mean that, that's just general advice, I suppose, which you know can be applied here but I think it's I think it's especially important when you're talking about magic because magic is a thing that doesn't really seem to exist in our world uh, So we have to describe this thing that, doesn't exist, but which everyone is also very familiar with on some level, which is a very interesting problem to have.
3: You know, it reminds me a lot of usability and website design in the early stages. And what I mean by this is that you have people trying to make websites, and they tried all kinds of things in sort of in the earlier days of website design. So you had people really trying all kinds of crazy things in terms of the user interface. And over time, let me see, I think it was the the Norman Nielsen group, something like that. Uh, They did usability stuff and they started publishing these regular reports of, you know this is how hard it is for a typical person to use a typical site they only figure out where to get you know 50% of the time because they're just confused right and but they also started organizing certain patterns of how people acted and how people interpreted things and over time that helped the industry as a whole sort of coalesce on Common patterns. And so, you know, if you're setting up a shopping cart, there are these things that are commonly used, and these patterns of setting up the interface and and, uh, iconography and stuff like that. And that makes it a lot easier to understand. And now the audience is seeing the same things over and over in more places. And so they're able to navigate those ones that use the familiar patterns. And because more of the audience is familiar with those, then more people use it. And so it it starts to really aggregate around these common patterns. And I'm wondering if something similar could also happen to world building, where if we can start identifying uh, particular patterns, you know, maybe start with TV tropes and look at the things that are commonly done there and actually um, catalog them and say, okay, you can reskin them however you want but these are the really common patterns that we see happening, and these are the things that need to be explained, and these are the types of things, then we can have sort of the development of this common vocabulary within world building on how we treat different things to make it easier to, to communicate our ideas.
1: Yeah, and that's something especially important when we're dealing with people that don't have a background in like tabletop gaming or fantasy novels in general because it's really easy to take certain things for granted just because if you've read fantasy novels for a few years you know all of the tropes already you know what's like oh the reader will already like understand this i don't really have to explain what an elf is or what a paladin might
0: be yeah and i think we also have to i think we also have to be prepared for those people who are just getting into the genre as well though mm-hmm. like it's very easy to sort of assume someone will know for example what an elf is Uh, They're quite abundant in popular media. But I think, you know, and this might just take some testing with like beta readers or just having conversations with some people maybe outside of your normal circle, but it might might be valuable to spend a little bit of time discussing those different elements, even if it's not much, like just kind of making sure that everyone is kind of on a similar level. But again, like you're, Right as well that you know once something is kind of in the cultural space you don't have to spend as much time working on it and that's kind of why I, when i was describing the magic system that i created a while ago that's why i said i used like elemental magic because that is a very familiar thing even if you aren't using like an elemental system people know what a fireball is or what a uh, ice bolt is or you know whatever those different things are So yeah, I think like there's always kind of this give and take for a readers or an like your audiences. Almost like the the kind to go back to a web design standpoint. There's like a certain cognitive load of whatever you are working on, and that is determined by how complex what you are making and is and how different it is from what people have seen. And if what you have is very complex and very different there's going to be a lot of people who just can't get through it. Whereas if it's easy to understand, uh, it's going to have a wider audience because you know, more people are going to be able to digest what's happening.
3: Or if it's more similar. So I, I really like the distinction you made between complexity and familiarity. Uh-huh. Because you can kind of trade them off. Yeah. If it's familiar enough, you can make it more complex. But if it's really unfamiliar, you need to simplify it a great deal.
0: Yeah, and if it's really different and complex, then you need to take the time to really kind of flesh it out and make sure that your audience understands what's going on. And in addition to that, make sure it matters for what you're doing. Like if you're writing a story about political infighting within this country, and you have this really complex magic system all about catching flies – I don't know, something totally unrelated. Not really
1: relevant. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it it might not be the, great, the greatest example, but like the the point stands if the complex in this case magic system does not apply to the main story then why is it there?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, and it's kind of like if you go back to Avatar it's like he didn't start with all the elements. We had to learn that as we went. He didn't get the avatar state until it was relevant. The energy bending thing came at the last second once it became relevant. We weren't just given like, oh yeah, this is a fully powerful avatar that can do everything, try and keep up.
0: Yeah, and I guess to kind of continue this vein of thought, when we get to The Legend of Korra, which is the sequel series to The Last Airbender, we do get a character who has the majority of all the elements mostly under control. Basically assuming the people who are watching that have previously watched The Last Airbender, and they've already seen that journey to kind of learn all the elements. So let's start at a point where we're much further ahead than the previous main character was, and explore some new things. So the very first Season in Legend of Korra explores airbending, which we never really got to see a whole lot in the previous uh, series. And then after that, you get into like the spirit world and, uh, you know, a variety of other things that really weren't given as much time or really explored at all in uh, The Last Airbender. So that was a really clever way, I think, of kind of taking what the culture understands. Uh, which is this magic system that we kind of at a base level get because it is that elemental, you know, water, fire, earth, air situation. Plus the fact that it's a sequel series to something else that the new audience of this new show probably has at least seen some of.
2: I do think it's important to note that we are, at this point, the discussion is kind of taking on the veneer of a narrative, <laughs> of a story, and of writing, mm-hmm. because oh, yeah. world building doesn't always include that, necessarily. It can, yeah. uh, but there is creating the system for the system itself. Very true. And there is, if you think about it, games are pretty much like that, like D&D's magic system is its own thing. It can have a story to it, but ultimately what's going to mostly matter to the players is, oh, what can I do with it? And sometimes it doesn't necessarily always need a narrative. It's fun to add something to it, for sure. Uh, just, just, w- just want to throw that out there that yeah, you can. All, if you're writing for a story, contextualize it. But if you're if you're creating for the sake of creating, well, that's that's an entirely different beast of uh, mechanics and details that is also fun to uh, fun to discuss.
1: Yeah, yeah. At that point, you just need to know how many fireballs you can throw a day. You don't really <laughs> need to know uh, how you learned how to make fire.
3: I don't know. I, I really like those magic systems in, you know, in games where it's it's not a linear narrative, you're not being told the story, um, but where they marry the, ma- the mechanics with the world well enough that there's a context to it, you know, and there's a reason why magic works the way it does. Um, so that way you can fill in the gaps because there's no there's no lore book or setting book that is large enough to encompass an actual universe. There'll always be things that they choose not to cover. And so if you can get a lore book that explains things well enough and, and communicates the ideas well enough that you can fill in the details for yourself, then that's perfect. And I like that a lot more than sort of the ones that give you the, the, here's the, the, the things that you need to know, but not really understanding how they fit together or where you would put your own stuff inside it.
1: Yeah, and it mainly just depends on like what you need the magic for. Like If it's for a story, obviously you need that context and you want to know the history. And even if you don't tell everything to the reader, it's important to have it grounded in something that resembles your reality for the story. But as a pure gameplay mechanic, I think,
0: yeah. yeah if it's in a game, the most important thing is, is it fun? And then you kind of work from there.
2: That makes me think of the, (laughs) of like a chicken and and the egg or chicken before the egg, which came first. Uh, In this case, it's did the narrative come first that spawned the mechanics or did the mechanics come first and spawned the story? And either or can work? I think either or... Uh, has been done, as as we've seen with D&D, where it's like, oh yeah, it kind of started as mechanics first, and then they added the story. And then you have kind of the narrative, the storytelling perspective, where you're writing a book and you're thinking, well, I'm going to write the story and then come up with how it works, because that's what's relevant. It's just, it it differs on the approach that you're going for and your ultimate goal with whatever it is you're working on.
0: Well, I think now is probably as good a time as any, now that we're discussing uh, magic systems in a little more detail now. Uh, I'd kind of like to just go through and talk about, with all of you, some of our favorite magic systems and why we like them. What, you know, do we think makes them successful? You know, purely as a a magic system, like, it it could be part of a story or a game or whatever. But yeah, I'm just curious what everyone's favorite examples are.
2: I'll go ahead and start with, um, I immediately thought of the Witcher's magic system, or at least... The wither magic way because it's not like in the show necessarily. I'm I'm speaking from the show mainly because I haven't read all the books in the show. You don't really get like, oh, these are the exact same rules, but you get general rules like, oh, to do magic, you're taking you're taking up like energy or life away from something else to do it. So always keep that in mind. And there's stuff that's like forbidden. You can't you can't really bring them back, or you have to give a, you give a, you give up a part of yourself in order to get great magical powers, etc. It's like that give and take sense to magic that. Gives it the uh, gives it reason to the ex- uh, to the potency of it because magic in the Witcher world can literally level areas uh, just warp reality beyond uh, what anyone else can do in in that setting. But there is a massive cost to it, especially for those who are not who are not knowledgeable of how to do it. It could have uh, catastrophic results for them.
0: Yeah, I think one scene that does that really well in the show, without spoiling anything, I think. There's a scene where you see what happens to some of the students in Aratuza who don't make it all the way, and how they kind of give back to the school, which I think is a, a really good example, aside from the obvious one where the, I think it was like the plant or something gets kind of disintegrated. It was a good example of kind of like how nothing is wasted, everything kind of feeds into the system.
3: Nothing is free
1: and it's also great from like a world building or story building perspective because you have the penalties for it built in and those penalties and the negatives that come from using these awesome powers it's is what can help motivate the characters a lot more or just motivate the world as a whole like not everyone can do magic because not everyone has the skill or not everyone can pay this price like obviously the king is not going to be willing to like give up a hand for something
0: Yeah, but I think that also kind of from a world building perspective as well is why you end up in the Witcher world in the continent. Uh, You end up with a lot of nobility, kings and queens, etc., who have like a personal mage or uh, someone who can kind of perform magic on their behalf and advise them where magical things are concerned. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, like, it's a really big part of their lives even if they can't personally do it.
2: And also the magical Illuminati organizations are essentially like, oh yeah, we're the Council of Mages because we're super powerful and we know that whatever we do, we can utterly destroy the continent if we're not careful with magic. It's like that understanding of the extent Mm. and the breadth of what they can do and the implications of what happens if if mages do as they please. And it it would be, uh, in their belief, destruction, like essentially assured destruction for whoever's involved, which would be just their their world for for what for lack of a better term yeah so how about you
3: adam what's your favorite
0: um i would have to go with four magic systems from the powder mage trilogies by brian mcclellan they're all kind of related the way that he described them once i actually had a chance to interview him back in want to say it was it came out in the december issue of world building magazine we didn't have a ton of time so it's a little bit of a shorter one but Uh, He mentions in it somewhere that the different magic systems were related to each other sort of in regards to they were each representing a different part of society. So the three original ones being like uh, you had the Nact, who were kind of this commoner group within this structure. uh, And they were all very different. They had one thing that they were very good at uh one major character his knack was that he didn't sleep not that he couldn't he just didn't have to he never got tired (laughs) he made a very good personal bodyguard then you had the titular powder mages who were kind of this rising middle class kind of representative of industrialism which mattered to the story because the story was kind of based loosely on sort of a french revolution situation so it was kind of that uh industrial period and the powder mages were sort of embodying that movement and in the world you know they were this new type of magic like no one totally understood them yet as opposed to the privileged who were the kind of classical i kind of mentioned this earlier like everyone is familiar with fireballs and elemental Uh magic that's that's what the privileged are they are just sort of the basic i don't know mage kind of character and they sort of embodied the the high society and the establishment and the powder mages were very good at killing them from a distance
1: (laughs) yeah and i really like that class disparity too it adds a lot of uh, texture to it
0: yeah i it made a lot of sense for the story. It created this really interesting uh sort of intermingling of different systems. And that's kind of not even talking about the Bone Eyes, who kind of represent this outsider society, blood magic sort of thing. It, it's, it's a very messy collection of systems. But I, I liked how whenever they were introduced, they always had... More meaning to them than what was on the surface, and sort of how they kind of played together, very in, in interesting ways to me.
2: That actually, when you mentioned that, I, I was just going to be a brief reference. Uh, it reminded me of Fate Zero for anime fans out there, where essentially it's a tournament of mages, but then one of the mages brings a gun. <laughs> and extremely effective at killing mages cuz he oh just he combines yeah. yeah he combines magic with his bullets and he just he utterly destroys a mage by stopping his ability to uh, spoilers stopping his ability to cast <laughs> magic with a bullet essentially and it's like wow that is
1: literally bring a gun to a magic me of fight uh, black clover where the main character's only ability is that he can swing a sword yes. really hard and <laughs> he, he, and he <laughs> can cut through the magic so it's like haha None of us have magic now, and I can swing my sword harder than you. <laughs>
3: <laughs> you know, that I guess we're it's making all of us think of things, but that reminds me of a lit RPG series that I read recently. Uh, the series is called Ten Realms, he's only on, I think, the seventh realm, so it's killing me to find out, you know, the next three books or the next two books, however many it is, till we get to the tenth realm and find out what happens. But the idea is that, uh, there's this disease that goes around, they call it the two week curse. And when you get it, in two weeks, you disappear from the earth, no one knows what happens. But in the meantime, you start being able like all of a sudden, you have stats and stuff, and you start being able to get stronger. And these two soldiers get the two week curse, they know they only have two weeks to get out of it before they disappear, who knows what's going to happen. And so they're getting ready, they're getting as strong as they can, they get all their supplies, they go off to this other world. And stuff actually happens there. So I'm not going to say what is in there. It's it's a long series. But the interesting thing is that, yes, they bring guns, and guns are really cool. But the thing that really makes a difference for them is their approach. So they're not the only ones who have big power. But the people there sort of follow a classic cultivation series uh, paradigm where you're trying to individually be better. And those are two soldiers which are used to working as a team and thinking in terms of tactics over a large group of people. And so that really revolutionizes things when they know modern military tactics, you know, and also have power.
0: Mm -hmm. I'm not going to lie, I spent like half that time just looking up Fate Zero because gun to a magic fight. (laughs) Well, I was paying attention. Don't worry. (laughs) I I was paying attention. I just wanted to acknowledge because I don't really normally watch anime. I've tried it a couple times, but I've had some trouble getting into it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm going to try this one.
2: It's actually very good, because it's, it's almost psychological in parts, and it's a lot of philosophical questions too, but they also have magic fights and gunfights. Uh, so there's that. it's a good mix. Uh, I I remember it immediately, because it is a good quality anime, and that, that idea of... Uh, that, that situation in Fate Zero was built by mages they live in a secret mage society that essentially can control and alter the world Mm. through this uh tournament
0: man before before we stop here we're probably gonna have to come back to that topic of what happens when something disrupts the magic system Mm. because that's Mm -hmm. that's a very interesting one too but before we get there kathy was that the one you wanted to talk about as one of your favorite examples or did you have? no
3: no No, that was just something she thought
0: of (laughs) okay i just making sure i wanted to make sure we covered everything no
3: i'd say my favorite is probably uh lois mcmaster bejold's five world series so i love that author if you ever read any book i recommend you try out her books not to you know I was overstate Something
0: it. like any book related to this. No, 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 and no. Like, if, no just, if you if are you interested read. in
3: books, read <laughs> something from her. I love her that much. But I actually like a different series of hers more. But as far as a magic system, my favorite is the Five Worlds, and the reason is that she takes over the course of a series of books, and now she's retired, and she's uh, still writing sort of short stories and novellas whenever she feels like it. She'll you know just come up with a new one, and. The magic system is theologically based. It's applied theology. And in the first book, you, and there are five gods. In the first book, you learn about the first one. The second book, you kind of learn a bit more about how it works in a different way. But the idea is that the gods cannot directly affect the world unless a human acts as a conduit for them. But That means that, and so those there are saints running around who are uh, touched with the power of the God and able to channel the power of a God, which sounds like, hey, I'd want to be a saint, except that it, you don't get to control the results. So you have to have the faith there and be like, okay, I'm going to let God do whatever that I want through me. But gods are concerned with souls. They're not concerned with like, how, your everyday life, and so if you let a god do whatever through you, then you don't get to control what happens. And they make one uh one analogy where it's like the gods love their saints the way a mule driver loves his mules, whipping them over the high pass. You know, and it's just a really fascinating world where she combines a mixture of sort of culturally, it's it's like Spanish or Portuguese in you know the late Middle Ages, early Renaissance period, um, with this very different approach to how saints and gods and sorcerers and demons and all that work. Um, And then later, she goes into sort of this Germanic area, which has shamans and beast magic and stuff like that. And it's none of it is like I've ever seen before. But all of it goes together.
1: Yeah, I really like that. I, I especially like how it's like... We, we would imagine divine magic as this super benevolent, like, oh, the gods have such mercy, they bestow such miracles upon us, and then it's like, but it's not <laughs> quite as nice as you think. I do like that little twist.
2: I do like that because it's specifically how I think it should work with god magic. Maybe it's a, it's a view on when you have a system or a world with a lot of gods or multiple gods... It's, it's hard to kind of think of it in the same way as in real life or or uh, in some real life religious where it's like, it's one omnipotent, omniscient god. Uh, so my default is to apply uh, kind of the sense that, like, oh, like the Grecian take to, to the gods is that the gods in these worlds are flawed. They are likely, uh, they are still very powerful, near omnipotent, if not omnipotent, and thus they have their own motivations and likely they do not care for mortals they probably do not care for morals on the individual sense unless that mortal can do something good for them
1: yeah it's like if random people were just gods because it's just random people basically they're just as horrible as regular human beings <laughs> but they have horrible powers they can wield to do whatever they want why wouldn't well, they be assholes about it
3: Well, that's if you go with sort of the Greek gods and this, you know, in the five worlds, the gods are very benevolent, but they're just, I mean, you know, they only see like souls and the big picture and stuff like that. And so eh, if you have a little pain, you lose all your money, whatever it's, that's the details. We're looking at the big, the greater good here, you know, and they're all for the greater good. But when, I guess the other thing that I really like about her series and the way she treats the theology is that. Even though everybody witnesses miracles, everybody knows the gods exist, there is not a singular religion. There are multiple religions, and there's big schisms among it because the gods don't directly communicate either. You know, they're they're sort of on a different plane. They're unknowable. Um, they try their best to help, but it's not like you can sit down and kind of talk through their ideas with them. And so there's big conflicts between different regions about that just believe completely different things about what the gods really are and what they want and stuff like that.
1: Yeah, that's really cool, actually. Might check that out.
3: So how about Devin?
1: So uh, last time I brought up Mistborn and it launched a whole thing, but I am going to bring it up again because it's still one of my <laughs> favorite magic systems ever. And I really, uh, it's the Mistborn trilogy by Brandon Sanderson great read if you haven't heard of him uh, pretty good author i would say but he has and there's three systems that are kind of intertwined uh in the trilogy even though we don't find out too much about the ones that aren't the focus of the story until later but it's ingesting metal and burning it to gain abilities for a short burst of time And it's either like physical enhancements, like an increase to your speed or your ability to see things or hear things, or it can also be like you can push and pull on people's emotions to make them feel how you want them to, or you can uh, like push and pull on metal that's around you to like move around and fly through the sky. And there's this disparity between someone who has all of the powers and those who are just stuck with like. One that they have to make do with. And so there's this nice dichotomy between, like, the ultra powerful and then the, like, people, the relative commoners, even though they're never really common because of how rare these powers are. And it just, it's a very interesting power struggle and very, like, political revolution esque as you go through the series. And I just really love how the system is laid out very well. And you can almost. Like, write down the exact rules for how these abilities should work. And then the author still comes out and says, yeah, but you didn't think of this, and this is actually a twist that put, turns the whole thing on its head, and nothing is quite what you thought it was. And I think it's a really interesting balance between like the hard magic, soft magic that we t- that you guys have talked about on here before, where we do have those hard rules, but when you have creativity behind it, you can do things that you didn't really think were possible before.
0: I keep hearing how good that magic system is and I need to actually read those stories one of these days. I've been I've got a little backlog that I need to get through first, but we'll get there one of these days. It sounds very neat. Like basically I feel like a big takeaway to that is like being able to surprise your audience, you know, if you've got one by using a magic system in a creative way that they might not have thought about can be really impactful e- even if it's things that they understand already so yeah that's that's really cool that they're able to make that happen
1: yeah and i think the author is really good at making you expect that you understand everything and then revealing how little you actually understood about it without breaking any of his own rules
3: yeah, I'd say Brand- Brandon Sanderson definitely has some of the most creative world building that I've ever seen. And the thing that kills me about him is I've read a few different um, sort of series that he's written, and each one is like, "Oh my god, that's the most creative magic system I've ever read." Right. And then I read and the I next don't one. Know that's where another he gets of the these most
1: ideas.
3: I know it's un- usually you'll find someone and they come up with this super amazing, creative, no one's ever thought of it before magic system and that's their thing like they've they've had that one series but he's like oh that's what i did on tuesday but now it's wednesday it's time for a new magic system <laughs> that no one's ever heard of before it's just
1: nuts yeah you're definitely right and he publishes like one or two books a year minimum like i do not know how Pretty the man insane. survives
3: on pure creativity apparently so something else that i thought was really cool that he did is he released warbreaker for free which is You know, one of the books he's written has, of course, a very creative magic system. And yeah, he's he released it for free for every, you know, beautiful cover art, the whole thing. Uh You know, so other people could get a chance to read his books. And he's like, I think this is, you know, people complain about piracy or whatever, but I think this is going to be better for me in the long run. And I'd rather do this and have them get a chance to try me out. And then if they can, they can come back and read more of my stuff. Can we go back to what is magic? Do we have uh, an agreed upon definition of what magic is?
1: Doubtful.
0: (laughs) I mean, I think it depends on the context of what you're doing, because it's going to be, like, even, let's say, within games for a moment, the magic system for one game is going to be different than another. In some, it's going to be destructive. Like, in the Witcher games, for example, you can throw fire and gusts of wind and stuff like that but then you've got i would say kind of a pseudo magic system in portal where you are solving puzzles by creating pathways uh, and using like the momentum of falling in one direction to jump out this portal?
1: Well, and I think, even though some people might get angry, but I think a lot of technology in video games that we see is basically magic. We just don't call it that because we put a nice little sci-fi paint of coat or coat of paint on it, and then yeah. all of a sudden it's just, no, we're future technology. But really, it's it's just magic.
0: Yeah, I mean, I've been working on a sort of science fiction, cyberpunk style thing for a little while, and the way that people improve themselves is by installing like different augmentations or getting different tech. So like on the surface, I like, yes, that is how they're doing it. It's just like me getting a phone or putting on this headset or, you know, I guess wearing glasses, but it's to a much more advanced degree where it's like so far removed from what we're used to today. Yeah. I would also tentatively call that a form of magic
2: i think it's easier to define magic when you're in a world that you know magic exists because i think in in our world in the real life you'll think of magic as anything you can't really explain like science can explain it you can explain it uh maybe religion can explain it uh that's kind of the idea i think that a lot of people have is like oh wow that's that's magic well how'd you do that it's possible oh are you a wizard oh that's magic oh that kind of that kind of thinking but when you get into a world where th- that magic is established, it kind of creates its own sphere of this is magic because it's not something your technology can do. It's not something you' uh, it's not something you can do naturally. And you know that it is derived from either this energy. And in that case, there are situations where people will falsely attach magic as like a descriptor to something that they simply don't understand. But in when an assistant actually has it, you can say, Oh, it's magical because it gears off spellcasting. It gears off, let's say, uh, mana or ether or life force. It's things that uh, there is either an understood or maybe not so understood means of manipulating it to create what is normally impossible beyond other means, <laughs> for example. And,
0: and I think a big way to look at that as well is sort of where does the energy come from? the the source of it i suppose like for example in magic the gathering the uh magic kind of comes from the land uh sometimes from very normal looking places sometimes from kind of more mythical looking spaces there's a lot of systems where it's just kind of like in the air around you there are systems where it's kind of coming from within the individual and they're kind of drawing it out of themselves then you've got, like, you know, I guess holy magic, where, like, we were talking about earlier, uh, there might be a god that has imbued you with power or is working through you. So I, I think kind of part of the answer to the question of what is magic is figuring out where is this power coming from? Uh, is that source magic?
3: Well, but then that kicks the question down the road what does it mean for the source to be magical?
0: it does a bit yeah <laughs>
3: <laughs> i i like I, I don't think this is a general you know rule that everybody needs to follow but f- for me personally i find it useful to separate things into alternate physics versus magic and if it's if you're building a world with alternate physics then maybe the land has magic that one, you know, and it's just a different power source. There's thermal energy, there's kinetic energy, there's potential energy, whatever there's, there's land energy. And you develop the system that has different processes or different rules than our universe does as far as we know. Um, But then magic is where you have a universe and There's a a power source or there are methods or whatever that not everyone can access, you know, so whether that be like psychic powers or sort of a magic or wizard powers or whatever, if it's not something everyone can interact with, but only some people can interact with, then for me, that's what separates alternate technologies and alternate, you know, physical systems from actual magical systems.
1: Yeah, I like that. Yeah, that actually makes a lot of sense.
0: Agree.
3: So, should we make it official? That's the rule of world building from now on?
1: Yeah, did,
0: did we figure out what magic is? Oh my god, we, we
1: figured out what <laughs> magic is, guys.
2: Let's, <laughs> let's not start a flame war over defining what magic no,
0: is. No, this anyone is who disagrees with
1: that is wrong we ha- forever. We
0: have spoken. This is magic.
1: And I, I don't think, like, we could talk for hours and hours. I don't think there's any, like, correct answer to that question, per se, But from a purely world building perspective, uh, I think magic is really just what makes, what separates the world we're creating from the world we have, like, in real life.
3: Mm.
1: And I I know that kind of can be also, like, futuristic technology and alternate physics, but really, magic is just, like, kind of what makes your world more than real. So, just
0: uh, for the sake of argument here, what if i create a fictional world that has no magic it's just separate from our reality it's kind of this space where i get to create my own towns and stories and stuff like that there's no mysticism really there's no fireballs there's no super high technological stuff going on so i guess just for the sake of argument like how do we categorize the differences between that and our world in, in such a similar setting?
3: I want a word for that thing, because I've read a few books that are like that, where mm. it, it could be our world in the sense that, you know, it's all the same laws of the universe and stuff, but it isn't our history or our geography, um and so it ends up not being our culture either and
1: yeah and it's just like an alt earth at the end of the day
3: mm-hmm. and some of them are really interesting yeah that's, that's
1: good I, I hadn't been thinking about the term
0: alt earth
3: yeah i like that because i've i mean it's like alt history except it's not because sometimes it has nothing to do with our history at all okay so is that the second decision that we've come to the official yes. uh, edicts of world building
0: yeah, magicless, similar worlds are alt-Earths. Okay. We've, we've made so much progress today.
1: <laughs> We're doing really good. The listeners are going to love this. We're just giving them cold, <laughs> hard facts. Yeah, this, is, this is
0: the podcast for cold, hard facts. You get nothing else here. No, opinions, no opinions at all. No
1: opinions
0: <laughs> whatsoever. Uh, you came here for well-researched, opinionless information. There you go.
3: Anybody who disagrees has to win a arm wrestling contest or rock, paper, scissors.
0: (laughs) You have to come on this podcast and say something else. Ah. (laughs) Cool. So now we know what magic is. Uh, We know what it isn't. We've talked about a couple of different systems. Um, Let's talk about creating a new system then, and kind of the different variables that go into that. Um, And we don't, have to spend a ton of time on this it's just kind of like a little exercise i suppose if uh you know someone listening hasn't really gotten too deep into a magic system before or they just kind of want to expand on the one that they've got uh you know what are some questions that we can ask when creating one that are important to answer uh, or at least consider i've kind of already talked about this a little bit but one that i think is really important is how to make magic understandable so kind of like we discussed earlier you could have a really complex system but then have like the output be familiar like you have to go through this big complex ritual to cast a fireball or, or vice versa the way that you arrive at the result is pretty expected or normal uh you know that stereotypical you know individual gets exhausted over time and then like raises their hands to do a magic. And then the output of what they get when they raise their hands to do whatever it is they're doing might be a very complex thing. So I think there's a kind of balance there, uh, which needs to be struck so that people can understand what's going on. Obviously, if you're just kind of doing this for yourself as a hobby, you can make both parts very complex if you understand it, and that's fine. But if you are writing for an audience or making a game for people to play, etc., I think it's important not to overwhelm them. One example of this that I really like is the bending from the Avatar: The Last Airbender, which you know the, you have to go through and kind of learn with the main characters how the different magic systems function, which gives a very organic process through you know learning how they work. But in addition to that, you know you going into it, you kind of understand what a rock does when it's thrown or what fire does when you cast it. So, I, I think that was always a really fun example. Another one was, um, that I wanted to throw in real quick was the Ezo from Mass Effect, uh, Biotics. If you've ever played it, it's kind of this interesting backstory of, uh, there are these, like, technological implants that are put into people, this element called Ezo that they use to sort of fuel the sort of magic adjacent stuff that's going on. And the end result is just like, they push something, or they pull something, or they like hold it in the air for a while. Like the the different things you can do with it are kind of uh, simple. They're made for the gameplay to be fun, um, but the backstory to it is really interesting. How you like arrive at that point according to the lore.
1: Yeah, and I think the general like rule of thumb with those seems to be that the easier it is, the less powerful it is. Generally. Or at least that's that's a thing that I would like to say is a good guideline for myself, although others might agree. And it's just like, the more common it is, or the easier it is to do this, it, it shouldn't be able to change the fabric of reality whenever you flick your fingers. You gotta work for it a little bit.
0: Yeah, I think we, we talked about this a little bit with the discussion we had on the Witcher's magic system, where like the uh sorcerers and sorceresses they're really powerful they can create just massive changes in the landscape in combat and whatever they're doing but like we've discussed like that power comes from somewhere and you have to sacrifice kind of the equivalent we're getting into some full metal
1: alchemist territory here for (laughs) that's also a really great example of a magic system though
0: yeah, they're actually very similar, where you like have to take something from somewhere, like the materials or the energy of one thing, and like convert it into something else.
2: I, I do think it just applies a lot of magic systems in general. There's an hmm. idea of a cost and commensurate cost to it. At least so magic systems that you can kind of harder define how they work.
1: Yeah, and whether that's like you're selling your soul to some patron to gain warlock powers or you're studying for years and years and years to be able to light a match with your mind. It's like, you got to put in the work to get these consistently good results out. And I feel like full metal alchemist and the witcher do also do that really well.
0: Yeah. I think, I think that's a big part of how you make the system understandable is you show where the magic comes from, whether it's like you said, studying like, I don't know, Harry Potter, Where you see the students going to classes, um, or, you know, someone forging a bond with, uh, a demon or something. Like, these are all very, uh, distinctive ways that they access whatever power it is they're getting. And by experiencing it with the character, you know, if it's a game or a story that has a narrative like that, then it makes it easier for the audience to kind of follow along.
2: Mm-hmm. and i think beyond just understanding though i completely agree that it makes it easier to understand there's also the thing of making it compelling as a magic system making mm-hmm. it something that people really stick and dig their t- dig-, dig their things into because oh there's more to it that i can now read into and yeah. really involve myself and understand and that is something that shows up particularly in uh, gaming Not, like tabletop gaming or video gaming and people that's how people get to like optimizing. Oh. If you can't, you don't really get as much of the lore. It's like, oh, this is how where you get your spell slots, but here are your spell slots, this is the cost, mm-hmm. and that's when you get players that really kind of just start thinking, how can I make the most of what I have, or what cool things can I do within the limitations of so-and-so? Yeah. And it's mm-hmm. kind of that uh, concept that just translates between narrative focus and then applying it more mechanically as well. Of course, there's things that kind of do both, but
0: that was kind yeah. of it. I definitely agree with that. Like, when a magic system is built in a way where the people using it are just super powerful, I kind of start to lose interest. Like, I'm going to probably make a very unfavorable opinion. Or, sorry, I'm going to probably say a very unfavorable fact here because this is a fact based podcast. No opinions. But (laughs) there are no opinions. (laughs) I will. Preface this with I have not seen many episodes of Dragon Ball Z. I've only watched probably a dozen roughly. Uh I genuinely tried to get into it with some friends and we started the first season started from the very beginning and going through it. But I only made it 6 in and I didn't continue after that because I was just very bored. Um basically it was just a bunch of very powerful people shouting and punching stuff. And the power scaling only ever went up, and there never really seemed to be a cost to anything. So, I just kind of lost interest very quickly watching this show, because I kind of just, like, knew everyone was always going to rise to some challenge, more or less, and the things that they were doing never seemed to cost anything. Like, And if it did, it didn't stick, so um
2: to play devil's advocate you don't watch dragon ball for the lore in world <laughs> oh i,
1: I know <laughs> that becomes very obvious very quickly watching that yeah. show.
0: <laughs> um i just think it's a good example of it's a very you know simple i guess an easy to understand system where people do a thing to get strong and then punch each other through rocks and stuff or whatever and there, there's never any kind of balance, which you see in some of the other things that we've been talking about, which just made me lose interest.
2: Since since we're talking, uh, since we've we've uh, opened the floodgates of anime, and Devin mentioned this series earlier, the next like kind of my contribution to what I think is important when thinking about magic system is uh, I'm gonna mention Black Clover. Black Clover does have a magic system that is. For for an anime, I think it's relatively fleshed out, like how things work. It's actually
1: really well written for like an yeah. anime or manga based magic system. I really like. Yeah,
2: it, it. It, yeah. It's like a, everyone has their own special magic that they're essentially that that's their thing. It's kind of built into them. It reflect a lot of it. Like it reflects them. It's who is who they are in many ways, and they use it. They do it by learning spells as in their grimoire and their grimoire's just magic. Doesn't really get too much into it. but It's always there when they're doing something, but in that series magic is really cool and it provides really good fights it provides a spectacle but it's definitely it feels more of a it's like a means to it's a means to showing that progression The means to showing the hero's journey um and that kind of goes down to my point is uh what what is the magic going to do for whatever it is you're going to do and that'll depend on your medium like if it was a story what's magic supposed to do is it supposed to be this world shattering force is it something that is common enough that most everyone can do it like what's the role what is the role is it going to play and designing a system based on what you intend for it as the writer and of course when you have a game what is magic going to play usually it's going to be a player option so it has to be extensive it has, it has to be extensive it has to be fun engaging and understandable uh, going back to what Adam uh, mentioned before
1: and I also like just continuing the Black Clover hype train here, but uh, <laughs> the the characters' like advancement and power is, and they even talk about this in the series is it's all driven by conflict. So, like, the more you push yourself and the more you are in danger, the better chances you have of, like, achieving a higher proficiency and unlocking these new spells that can help you out. Even if it's not in the way that you, like, desperately need it at the moment, it helps you grow as a person as your abilities grow. And I do really love that it's character growth equals power growth, and it's not just like, here's a new spell because it's a new season.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, that sounds good. I haven't seen it, but...
2: And they, they do a lot of training <laughs> instances where they do that. And a lot of almost dying. <laughs> Quite a bit of that, too.
0: Sounds about right.
3: <laughs> you know, I've been thinking about your initial question a second, a few minutes ago, where you said, what is it, if we're creating these worlds, what do we need to consider? And usually we talk about hard magic to soft magic system as a sort of axis that we travel along. But it occurred to me there's this other axis that we could travel along, which is, are we looking at a single cohesive system? Or is it, are we dealing with magic as a a bunch of localized systems? And lately, I've been getting into a series of books that treat magic is very localized. So uh, Martha Wells in her Rexura books, T. Kingfisher is writing a series right now where she does this. And what ends up happening is that they're very well-defined. So they're sort of on the hard magic side of it. And you know exactly what's going on, but there are so many systems in the world that they don't bother explaining. And so as they're walking down the street, you have no idea what magic power somebody else is going to have because the world is so large that you just don't even know what magic is out there. You only know what your magic does. And so, you know, it's this it it doesn't fall along the hard versus soft. It's like a s- other axis entirely. Is it is it all well described like Avatar: The Last Airbender where it's a single system that everybody works through or are you dealing with one magic system in a sea of many? And so it's just this, uh, it in, inserts a sense of wonder, I think, that you don't always have when the magic system is uh, unified.
1: Mm-hmm. And I definitely agree with, with harder magic, you definitely do lose some of the mystery and wonder that you get from like more soft, classic fantasy like Tolkien and Lord of the Rings. And some of that grandeur is lost in the translation, I think.
2: It, maybe this is just the way I, the way I kind of parsed how you said it, Kathy. I'm not <laughs> sure if what not that I'm not sure what you mean, but I just thought of it. So isn't that just a bunch of smaller magic systems within and like yeah, my, yeah. It's, it's tr- like it's a bunch of smaller magic systems. It's just that. Unless there's like a macro magic system that, oh, there's a hidden truth behind the world of how energy happens, and these are all connected and just splintered off.
3: No, 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 no. That I, You're totally right. It is a bunch of smaller magic systems, and there is no unifying truth. But the effect of having a world where there are so many smaller magic systems is that you can have one that's very well defined, just like you would have in traditional hard magic system, but then there's parts of the world that you can wander through that you've no idea what's going to be coming because they're operating under a different magic system altogether. And so, yeah, they may have restrictions or costs or whatever, but since you don't know what they are, it it reinserts that sense of wonder that you usually don't get with a unified hard magic system, because with a unified hard magic system, you kind of know what you're going to get. With a disunified one like this, you don't know what you're going to get. You only know what you can do or what the protagonist can do, but they can wander through the world and it's just a wild and crazy, you know. I see.
1: So that that kind of reminds me of a, the Name of the Wind series by Rothfuss, if mm-hmm. anyone has read that. And it's, we have a very concrete magic system. The main character goes to school to learn this specific magic system, but then... In the second book, he goes to the land of the Fae, and it's like everything he thinks he knows just gets flipped on its head, and magic works differently. They're like innately magical, they can do things he could never dream of, and it's all about him like having to adjust to that in a very like fish out of water situation.
2: I-, I get what you're saying, and maybe quite frankly, that's probably how I personally, as, I, uh, as a reader, parse like world building in fiction and reading it. But the way you described it, it's like it doesn't really sound like it's really a soft magic system. It's it. There, it sounds like because you have in your world established, oh, right, this magic system is a kind of a hardish system. There are rules to it, and then there is that kind of a, uh, I guess, the separation between it being a mystery in the world because it's a mystery, or is it a mystery because it's just that the author hasn't explained it to us? Um, and I think that yes, I agree that there's going to be wonder there. I'm not sure if it's necessarily the wonder of wouldn't the magic so much as the wonder of oh this is cool i don't know this about the world i want to know more about it but I'm actually, but this me coming into it without context as to how much does or doesn't get explained of these other smaller magic systems
3: well the cool thing about having this very disjointed approach and by the way i think whether it's unified or disjointed is a completely different question than hard and soft so you can have disjointed hard disjointed soft Unified hard and unified soft, if that makes sense. But, you know, having these disjointed hard ones, the cool thing is that you may never get an explanation at all. Like, you're wandering around the world and there's, I don't know, you know, the giant floating sea slug with three cities living inside it. And, (laughs) you know, it breathes pink clouds and whatever, some crazy thing. And you... The, the author will not, never explain it. It's just like this crazy thing out there and you go and you can interact with it. You know, and the protagonist is like, I guess, you know, we're in the pink cloud now with the giant sea slug city, whatever. And then next chapter you're somewhere else. Um, and so in that sense, it's very wondrous. But it doesn't, it doesn't feel the same as a soft magic system, but it definitely has, for me, it reinserts that sense of grand, you know, mystical like you never know what you're gonna see that I enjoy from soft magic systems.
2: I think my problem is that when I put in in like in this case, in if I take out magic system and just put in, oh, that new culture, that new technology, it kind of resonates the same way of I would probably have the same sense of wonder and curiosity mm-hmm. is how it is. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's I, I'm not parsing it in the same way you're thinking of the different magic systems.
0: I think that's part of it though, because you know when Devin explained the magic systems in The Name of the Wind and the sequel that came after, you know, the way he described it was main character goes to a new place and sees a new magic system.
1: Yeah, and and the author is even giving you hints ahead of time, and it's like, we know there's other forms of magic that aren't as easily explained, and have some unknown rules, but we as the reader and the characters just don't know them.
3: I like that. I like it. So, but I think that that's an important question to consider when you're making your world: is how cohesive is it is going to be the magic, as well as how hard or soft it is.
1: But I would say, regardless of how hard or soft the magic is, you as the creator should definitely know how the magic works, even if the audience does not. I don't know. That that's kind of one of my like personal sticking points: is I like to be able to predict how things will go even if i i I don't know i'm explaining explaining this really poorly
2: like you should know you should know the rules so you're right within those rules and not end up like you know betraying what you've established the audience
1: yeah like work within the rules even if you're doing things that seem like they're breaking the rules you know they aren't
2: Mm -hmm. i mean eventually a lot of people will probably do something that like within the writing. They'll write something that breaks the rules because narratively, this is the point to do it. Not like they should keep doing it, but rather, you know. Those are exceptions in the rule though.
0: Yeah, I think this kind of comes back to the simple situation of the iceberg principle where the audience is shown, like, 10% of what's going on and you know the rest. So, basically, if you understand the magic system, even if, like, not in its entirety, but you understand it beyond what you are saying in your writing in your game then you have somewhere to go with it later on if needed and you can keep it consistent and work within a standard set of rules
1: and it also allows for some nice surprises when you can come up with something that the audience wouldn't expect but in retrospect they're like oh that does kind of make sense i can see that that's a natural progression of the rules that we already know
0: all right so we're gonna wrap this up i think Thank you again for everyone for coming by i really appreciate it it was fun chatting about all this with you uh hopefully people were able to learn a little bit about magic systems take away something that they can use for their own maybe find a new few new questions to ask while they are building something or working on theirs so before we all head out though uh why don't we just kind of go through and does anyone have any final thoughts to say Uh, regarding magic systems anything that we want to go back to real quick and chat about real quick Uh, or is there something that we didn't get a chance to talk about that you want to bring up
1: i just wanted to say real quick that i don't believe it's possible to do magic wrong as long as you are consistent with yourself Like, it seems like there's a lot of options and there's so many different ways to do everything. And it it, it can be really hard as either a world builder or an author or just content creator to try and, like, fit yourself into an easily digestible, easily readable little, this is how magic works. But uh, as long as you know what you want out of it, then I feel like it's really hard to do it completely wrong in a way that's not fixable.
2: I am still chewing on what Kathy said with the, uh...
1: The unified disjointed ma- axis? The
2: unified the unified disjointed axis, because I'm just thinking, that is entirely new. I think, like, that. that's, like, a facet that can just drastically alter how you handle, uh, I think, other parts of your world. Of yeah,
1: I also do really it, love that idea, Kathy. That's yeah. a great one to think about.
3: Aww.
2: Because now it's, like, it, you essentially just... There was always a kind of power scale in, like, the, uh understanding scale that was hard and soft magic that, that kind of folds into it. But it feels as though that with that, you just added a almost humanizing element to that magic because you turn it into something that is pretty much uh, akin to culture, like a, a culture or region, that there would be multiple cultures, multiple countries, uh, multiple facets of the society that would have to be constantly considered. And I mentioned it before, but thinking about how magic plays into the world and what it means for people to have magic and in some cases as we mentioned with the uh, kind of the class war examples from the other media what it means for people to not have magic the problems that might arise from the, from uh, that situation and how people react it makes for it can certainly make for a great story but as far as like just wider world building, it's going to be ubiquitous. It's going to be integrated into how the people of your world live, at least the ones that you choose to focus your writing on. And that axis of unified or not just adds a level of depth to it, a depth to it that I can't quite wrap
3: my head around. I just know it's deep. Well, I can definitely recommend some books that go toward the disjuncted side, because they're that's what made me first start think of it. You know, Like I said, Martha Wells in her Rexura books, uh, T. Kingfisher in her Paladin series, but there are others. For You also mentioned um, Power Scale. And I remembered the thing that I was going to mention that I didn't say is when I was first starting to read fantasy, I noticed that there were a lot of books where the protagonist kept getting more and more powerful throughout the series. And it seemed like that cause problems a lot of times in the narrative. You know, they would just get more powerful and more powerful and the villains got more and more powerful and they were scaling right along with it. And you'd see the same thing happening in tabletop games also, which, you know, I was playing at the same time. And now it seems like I'm reading more books where you have these characters getting more powerful, but the nature of the challenge changes. And so, you know, maybe in the early series, they're dealing more with, Um, sort of local problems, and how do I get power? And then later on, they're dealing more with, uh, I'm building a settlement, and now it's more political. And how do I uh, deal with things in kind of a different way? Now it's world ending, and now it's a divine thing. And it's, if you're building a world to be played out or to tell a story over a long period, then think about how at different scales, how that's going to be different, and not just more of the same, but actually different in kind.
1: Yeah, I think that's a really easy mistake to make too. Because in tabletop or writing, it, it makes sense that you're fighting bigger and badder people every time. But a lot of times, just changing the context of the conflict can do a lot to reinvigorate the story that's happening.
2: It's like uh, world building wider versus world building taller, mm-hmm. in a yeah.
1: sense. Yeah, I think there's also
0: something to consider where if you have one system is that system represented the same way wherever you go one thing that i was experimenting with a while ago uh, and i'm afraid i don't have any like published examples of this that i can think of at least but one thing i was experimenting with a while ago in my own stuff was a single magic system where there was a unified source of power But not everyone had access to that source the same way. Like some people could just kind of pull it out of the air. Uh in other places it wasn't really as abundant that way. So they had to access it by getting plants and kind of grinding them up into poultices and getting like the water out of them. And the magic uh source was like in the water from the plants. So it kind of created this like herbalism magic almost. Mm -hmm. Uh even though like the Two systems were derived from the same exact source. Um so that's kind of another way to look at divergent magic systems is maybe it's the end result is the same thing, but there are different groups who have to access that in different ways.
1: Yeah, that's also an interesting uh way to look at it too.
0: Yeah, Kathy, we're gonna need a, a full article about this stuff.
1: <laughs> um, yeah, <so> that <laughs> refer to it. Uh, I I do
0: demand that it needs to exist. <laughs>
3: Indeed. I'll be waiting.
0: <laughs>
3: uh, okay, when is the uh, the article deadline next? Tomorrow uh, <laughs> 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 Just checking Just thought I'd double check
0: No, You you, you do whatever you need to To uh, put that together if you're going to I I, ju- I would just be interested in reading it Alrighty Goodness, we've gotten all over the place with this uh, episode Yeah, we have
1: You wanted it more casual I, Hey <laughs> We got it. Yeah, we did. I'm, I'm not
0: complaining. I'm just I'm trying to think of the last uh, statement that I wanted to give, and we've kind of covered a lot of different things. So, I guess one thing we didn't really get into a whole lot was like the culture around magic, because a magic system is something that can kind of exist in a bubble. But I think a more interesting way to depict it is when it is impacting and impacted by the culture that it's in. You know, we've seen plenty of stories. I think where uh, magic users have to hide or are persecuted or some something like that. Uh, we've also seen plenty of stories where they are revered, uh, where society kind of puts them up on a pedestal. There are magic systems which are so common that it's nothing to light a candle with your fire magic. You know, how does basically the question becomes: How does your system impact? technology impact uh, manufacturing people's daily lives what do people think about it is it approved to learn about the magic or do people want the magical practice to kind of be suppressed and keep people from learning it so that even if people have it they they never learn how to use it and therefore don't so I, i think that's one area we didn't really get a chance to talk to. We're going to talk about magic inevitably again on another season of this podcast. So I'm sure we'll get to that at some point.
1: Yeah. I'll see y'all back here for magic. Three.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I think that's a really interesting question is how does it impact and how is it impacted by the world around it? And you know, we're talking about culture here. So if you travel 50 miles in a direction, is it going to be the same way? Are you going to end up in a new region uh, where people think opposite or just a little bit different, you know, for whatever reason? So I think that's a really interesting way to do world building with your magic is not just to have the system, but to figure out what people think about that system. Thank you for listening. I've had a great time. Thank you to all of our wonderful guests for this. Does anyone want to give a shout out on... Like their socials or anything, where can people follow you?
1: I want to give it a shout out to the Writing Cartel, a really awesome Discord that's affiliated with the World Building Magazine and the World Casting Podcast. Uh, if you go ahead and head on over to my Linktree at linktree slash Devin Pigman, you'll find an easy join link to our Discord. Feel free to come by and say hi. And there's also some links to my socials there if you want to give me a follow or check out what I'm writing. Awesome.
2: I'm not going to bother linking anything because I'm so inactive on my socials. However, read the latest issue of Worldbuilding oh, Magazine because yeah. we just had a, as of as of this recording, we just released the, the first one of the year for we're getting started again. Woo!
0: Yeah. Uh, we revisited the topic from 2017 on how to get started worldbuilding with uh, a new group of writers and a uh, general team.
1: Yeah, so get out there, build some worlds, make some magic. Yeah.
0: You can go download it for free, Uh, no gimmicks or anything, just we're volunteering our time because we enjoy doing this stuff and uh, hope you can get something out of it. All of our issues are free on the worldbuildingmagazine.com website. You can follow us on Twitter at WBMag and, you know, all those things. You You can also follow me at Adam C. Bassett on Twitter if you're interested in whatever I'm doing at the time, I don't know. it's always changing.
1: Okay.
0: uh earlier today, I posted some u x and u i design stuff for work, and I think a week ago I was talking about game design and a week bef- and a few days before that, I was doing writing stuff uh, it's all over the place. I can't be consistent. <laughs> um did you wanna share anything, Kathy?
3: Nope, don't follow me. It's creepy.
0: <laughs> all righty, then, thank you all for listening. Uh, I've had a great time and I hope you can take this and go do something with it. So until next time, thank you very much. You've been listening to the world casting podcast an affiliate production of world building magazine. If you have any comments, questions, or suggestions, you can check out our website at worldbuildingmagazine.com, where you can also find links to all of our social media and our discord server. This episode was edited by JD Venner.